guys, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. Welcome to the show on this fine Monday. Uh, today should be a national holiday because the new trailer for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, will be coming out during Monday Night Football, so I expect you all to be in attendance and watch that. I will uh, definitely be checking it out. Um, yeah, so sorry about the late episode. So here, here's the deal with that. I'm in school now, so I'm going to do my very best to keep up with the weekly episodes. If I happen to miss one, it will at the very least be bi-weekly. Um, so, so don't fret. I'm not going anywhere. It's just, you know, life is very, very busy right now, which I guess is a good thing, but I'm not used to it. Uh, yeah, a lot of things going on. Um, yeah, uh, on, on the Patreon front this week, I'm going to be, I got to tell my story again at a big meeting in Lafayette and it was an interesting one because, uh, I guess I probably got afflicted by Satan or a week old boudin ball that I ate. I don't know. Something happened. I got, so I was feeling great. And I was speaking Saturday night, and Saturday morning, I just after I ate this boudin ball, which if you're not familiar, if not from the South, it's a uh, it's fried boudin and cheese in a ball, um, <laughs> hence the name. Uh, I started to feel awful. Uh, I tried to go to, I was like, okay, I'm tired. Um, I tried to take a nap, then I was like, all right, I'm gonna go try to do some forced cardio. Maybe that'll make me feel better. So I went to the gym did the Stairmaster for like 20 minutes and then went in the bathroom and threw up. And I was like, this isn't good. And then I started getting like chills and body aches. And I was like, this is the flu. This is awful. And now I have to go speak at the the biggest meeting I've, I've spoken at. Uh, so it was terrible. So I just took some, um, or I felt terrible rather. Uh, but I was committed. I was like, I'm going to do this. Um, and I think it, I think it, it went well. It was very cool. I always, um, just have really cool spiritual experiences whenever I get to tell my story. Uh, but since then, for the past two days, I've been burning the candle at both ends, if you know what I'm saying. And I think the final verdict is it was food poisoning, and it's been awful. Food poisoning is the worst. I always forget how bad it is because uh, I, I so rarely get it. Or it was a 24-hour bug or something. I don't know. But I so rarely get stomach issues like that but it's it's been awful but that brings us to today's episode which was really awesome it was really good I know I say that all the time but this one really was a cool conversation I, I got to talk to Josh Patterson from Theology Doesn't Suck podcast uh Josh is a really awesome guy really learned young man uh knows his stuff but he I'll say he's on the right side of history or whatever with his, with his beliefs. We, you know, he's um, he's done a lot more reading and research on the the sort of deconstructive topic and reconstructive topics that I have been recently. So uh, once again, I used it as my own personal um, Wikipedia search, where I, I just asked him all these questions I've been wrestling with, like atonement theories and. Uh, people of different religions and why Christianity and all those sorts of questions. So I think y'all will really enjoy it. Um, I plan on um, making him a friend of the pod and having him back on um, for more questioning. Um, so yeah, let me know what y'all think. Send me an email at churchonthedrugs at gmail.com. Um, check out our merch store, store frontier backslash church and other drugs. And if you want to hear my story this week for as little as a dollar, sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com backslash church and other drugs. I'm about to put it up there, but enjoy the conversation with Josh and see y'all next week.
so I am in Mount Airy, Maryland, uh, oh, which is wow. yeah. <laughs> so I'm in Maryland. Uh, I work in Gaithersburg, though, which is like a suburb of DC. So most people have heard of DC before, yep. I would think, but Mount Airy, not so much. So I'm just it's more rural, you know. I live in the woods. You've got fantastic internet connection for the woods, though. I guess you're close <laughs> enough to DC. Yeah. Well, we're kind of in the woods. Like you can hear a major highway near us. So I say we're in the woods, but really it's like, it kind of is and kind of isn't. Yeah. It's a facade, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you do for, so this is, um, I'm always so bad at uh, introducing. So this is Josh Patterson from Theology Doesn't Suck podcast. Yep. Um, what do you do for work? What's your day job? So I am a high school and young adult pastor at a church in Gaithersburg, yeah, called Seneca Creek Community Church. So that's what I that's what I do. That's the first that's uh I think that's the most advanced title for a youth pastor I've heard. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. How how long have you been doing it? Uh I've been man, I not at so at this church uh relatively recently started back in June. Uh so however many months that is, four or five months. Yeah. Um but I've been in full-time vocational ministry for three, four years now. How old are you? I'm 25. Okay. I know I look like I'm 16. You know, Dude, people always get thrown off. <laughs> it's a blessing. Yeah. yeah. How old do you think I am? We can play that game. Oh, man. I have no idea. Guess. I would guess mid to late 20s. Oh, nice. 32. 32. All right. 32. I also have nice. the the young face, so it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing nice. to have. <laughs> right on. Um. So you did the whole, I'm assuming you went to seminary? Actually, I did not go to seminary. Okay, so what, what like, career, how did you, what path did you take to line up in full-time ministry? Uh, man, without trying to, like, sound too, like, Christian-easy, um, I kind of went into college knowing that I wanted to do student ministry, uh, but kind of ran from that, like, wasn't about it um, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I ended up starting out in college as a computer and information science major, so like programming computers, and I sucked so bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) And I had like no friends. And uh, so long story short, I ended up falling into graphic design uh, as my major because I didn't want to waste my first year of school. And then I took one student ministry class, and then I ended up taking all of the student ministry classes. Um, and took a whole bunch of theology classes. What kind of college was it that had those classes? Okay, so I went to Messiah College, which okay. is like a... I'm a, not familiar, a, so... Yeah, it's a liberal arts uh, college in Pennsylvania, um, like a small Christian liberal arts college. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Okay, so you took all the theology classes. So what did you... Um, you still in school? Did you finish up? Yeah, so I finished up, um, I guess I graduated college in 2016, and uh, I continue to like study on my own now. I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's a large quantity of books behind me, and I have read most of them. There are. I, <laughs> so I, I, I do a lot of, lot of self-study. Yeah, it's a strong flex already to have this wall of <laughs> books behind you, and meanwhile, I've got my... Uh, my predator wall flag and a ferret cage. So I too am a man of, of culture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So how were you, um, what were, how did you grow up faith wise? Uh, or so I you? guess we, we, yeah, so we, we grew up like, I grew up nominally Christian, okay. like kind of going on and off. And then I know, uh, like a pastor pissed off my parents one time because like whenever they didn't go to church, they would call them and be like, hey, why didn't you go to church today? Oh, and uh, my parents were not about that life. So uh, we stopped <laughs> <laughs> we, we stopped going. And then I had a near-death experience when I was like nine or ten years old. And I think around there, my parents started going back to church. Uh, I guess those things kind of do that to you. Yeah, and, uh, I want to. Okay, hold on. I'm going to let my ferrets out of their cage because they always okay. do this when I start and they'll start biting the cage. <laughs> yeah, so please explain the near death. Yeah, so I uh, basically I got flu, strep, pneumonia, and croup all at once. And my esophagus was like, hey, that's not cool. And it just decided to like, 
close. <laughs> so it completely collapsed. My esophagus collapsed. Um, and, you know, you kind of need that for breathing and such. So I was like medevaced to John Hopkins, uh, which is like a – I think most people know John Hopkins. It's like a pretty famous yeah. hospital. Very and there I was, I was in pediatric ICU for like two weeks we, in a medically induced coma. Like, Just a quick – this is – sorry. Quick – Very good. Quick, incredibly immature aside, but – in my uh, prank calling days, John Hopkins was one of those, and we just called and asked to speak to John Hopkins, and they didn't think it was very <laughs> funny at all. And it probably wasn't very funny, but we would call every named college and just ask to speak with that person. Anyway. Nice. Um, <laughs> dude, that reminds me of Step Brothers, where he's like, dude, I smoked weed with Johnny Hopkins. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, But yeah, so that's where I was, and uh, we started going back to church. There was a Methodist church. Um, and it was super traditional. Uh, there was like, I don't know, it was very old, like old people. And my parents heard that like the street down the road, the the church down the street rather, down the road, uh, had co- this thing called contemporary Christian music. So oh. we ended up at a Southern Baptist church, uh, which we were later kicked out of uh, because my brother is gay. And so... Wow, my sister is also gay. Okay, yeah. So uh, my brother came out to my family, and then we were kicked out of church. They were like, you are no longer welcome here. Uh, we had like, I mean, it was crazy, dude. Kids would like text my brother like, you're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. Like parents would call and say hateful things. It was insane. Wow. Uh, and like what year was that? Oh, uh, man, let's see. My brother was in seventh grade when he came out, um, and he is 22 now. So... However long ago that was, I'm so bad at math. I am too. I guess are we talking like is that would that be early 2000s? Yeah, early okay. 2000s, early Man, 2000s. So that's like not that long ago. No, like, not at all. It is, but yeah, that's that's intense. Yeah. So we left there, and then uh, we, how, my parents. What's up? How did your How did your parents respond when your brother came out? Uh, well, my parents were like pretty chill about it. Actually, I think my parents did a really good job. I don't have like one of those stories where it's like, yeah, my brother came out and my parents kicked him out of the house. Yeah. Um, it was actually quite the opposite. Yeah. So, uh, it was pretty cool. My parents, um, I think my dad struggled with it more than my mom, uh, just because, you know, to some level he was like, what did I like fail as a dad? Like Mm -hmm. as a man, what did I do wrong? Kind of thing. Um, but then, like, when my parents – I remember my parents sitting down to be like, hey, you know, we have something to tell you. Your brother's gay. And I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah that, was, <laughs> that was kind of my thing, too. Was like, yeah. like, oh, did you tell you? I was like, no, but I just know. Yeah. So, right. you know, um, so it wasn't a, a big deal to me. And, like, that crushed my brother, though, like, for understandable reasons. Like, he was the one that wanted to be a pastor, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, – like now he's at a much better place with the church now, but like he always feels the urge to introduce me. He's like, Oh, this is my brother. He's a pastor, but he's not an asshole. Like that's yeah. how he introduced Doesn't people. that suck it that you have so to have, bad. man. Yeah. I, it's so even, gosh, even, yeah, even it's like, I have to be like, I'm a Christian, but like, listen, not <laughs> that kind. Like, right. I'm, right. I'm enlightened or whatever you want to say. Like I'm version 3.0. Something um, like that. Okay. So, so with your, this, so with your near, are you, this is kind of jumping ahead, but this okay. kind of, I've also had, um, quite a few, uh, near death experiences and, um, my friend has as well. How, how much do you buy into, uh, the supernatural and the spiritual realm sort of things. Yeah, man. I, I actually toy with that a lot. Um, because I've had experiences that, uh, like lead me to believe that some kind of supernatural stuff exists, but then also the other part of my mind is like, Oh, well this is just anxiety or this was just depression manifesting itself in a way that like, you know, I didn't understand because I was younger. But dude, like I, uh, so like not to get too off track, but I would have these dreams when I was little, like little kid. And I remember them, they were vivid. They happened wherever I was. So like if I was in my bedroom at home, the dream happened there. If I was on vacation at a lake house, it happened in whatever bedroom I was sleeping in. And there would be this voice like saying like bad, like dark things to me, like I'm going to kill you, I'm going to hurt you, whatever. <laughs> And I could never find it. It was just creepy, right? 
And then uh, one time I had a dream where I finally found the where the voice was coming from. And it, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it was coming from behind my bed. And I looked down and it was like this creepy, frail old man, like in all black with a hood on. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, I found you. And I made eye contact. And then a lion jumped out of my wall. And when it hit the floor, it turned into a bunch of sheep. And I never had one of those dreams again. What? Dude, it's crazy, That's right? That's awesome. And then, and then when, I was, when I had that near-death experience, um, I started having vivid dreams again. But when I, with my childhood understanding, I would say I was speaking to some personified version of Satan in my bedroom. Like he would say the same kind of things, but I would have conversations. Very creepy, man. So yeah. I've had experiences that like I don't know how to explain them, but they sound ridiculous. So No, but I, well, <laughs> I, I don't say know. that in, without even going too much into it. But it's that it's that I guess it's, you know, it's an old like Native American idea, but just the whole I think they refer to it as like um, I don't. Spirit walker might be the phrase they use, but it's essentially like the idea of like people that have near death experiences. Then you kind of um, uh, can be on the fence with like a foot on in both sides, and you'll kind of mm. be more prone to um, spiritual feelings or not, you know, dreams that sort of thing. I don't know. So I was just wondering if there was anything with that that you would experience but yeah can i take it one step further and tell you something really weird dude so all right so in college um i started having these dreams again that were super vivid uh again would take place in whatever room i was in they're extremely demonic though right Mm -hmm. and uh like at first they were terrifying but then i started and again this is going to sound so weird so like please people don't write me off (laughs) but like i would start like uh like preaching in these dreams and then like the demons would be overcome or whatever. But here's what was crazy about it. My roommates would wake up and be like, you had one of your dreams last night, didn't you? And it'd be like, yeah, and so did you. They would have dreams like the same when I was having them and feel affected by them. And oh, like, that's gnarly. I, I knew when they were, when it would happen. It was so odd, dude. And like, I prayed to God, like, this is some crazy shit. Don't ever let it happen to me again. And I pray that over and over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> I could. I have crazy stories, man. I could. Well, well, no, and I, I. So I'm. I am not the one to discount that stuff. And even like, I'll even. You know, it's funny. It's like, especially with sleep and dreams and stuff. It's not like there's any good scientific explanation for them anyway. So it's sure, really, sure. it's really kind of any anyone's game as far as I'm concerned for explaining meaning behind all that stuff. But yeah, well, that's interesting. So, how did um. So what was kind of your were you, your teenage upbringing? Any like early struggles? Have you just kind of always been Christian? Did you? Um, what was it like getting into uh, late teens, adulthood? Yeah, so I was like uh, growing up. I, I would say I was pretty much like nominally Christian at best, and then uh, probably around my sophomore year, excuse me, my sophomore year in in high school. I started uh, kind of taking things a little bit more seriously, um, and some influential people in my life uh, like started encouraging me, like, "Hey, do you want to try to preach or like do this or whatever?" Um, so that was interesting, and I, um, I don't know, like, my story is kind of just like average at best, <laughs> like just nothing really special. Just kind of grew up in the church. I mean, that thing with. Uh, um, the way my brother was treated. And then like, we ended up going to another church that like my family really liked. We were about to become members and they were like, Oh, well, before you can become a member, you have to let us change your brother. And then my parents were like, peace what? out. It's like, we kept having those experiences. So that was the biggest struggle for me growing up. I was like, man, these people, like they don't get something, um, like something's not right. And then once I got into college is really when, um, like I started studying theology, and I was told by a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Jace Broadhurst, he said, Josh, you have a dangerous brain. And uh, <laughs> I took that as a compliment, mm-hmm. and uh, so I you know, continued studying theology, and it wasn't really until uh, I started working in a church full-time 
that I would I had what I guess many people now would call like a deconstruction experience. Um, so it was actually within the last like five years that I really started uh, taking things apart and but honestly also putting them back together. Like I never lost hold of Jesus. I always kind of was like, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm going to cling to Jesus. He seems to know what's up, but like all this other stuff is crazy. So, yeah, that that's that's that pretty much parallels mine too. It's it's been the last um, the last five years when I've finally really took uh, Christianity more seriously as um, doing away with things that were um, not useful anymore. But yeah, I, I was never able to. It would never really even was a uh, there was there was a two year period in my life um and you know probably whenever I do your show or whatever we'll we'll get more into my story but there's a two year yeah. period in my life when I tried to dismiss the idea of of God and everything entirely and it just did not work which <laughs> which ironically kind of reinforced a little bit of of the idea of predestination for me okay. in that it was like. I feel like I gave it a really good shot to run away, and uh, in that case, I was literally like arrested, and I went to prison, and that's where I, f- I found it again. And it was it was literally like I was unable to fall away, right? In in a weird way. Um, but yeah, that, what things for you? What ideas did you leave behind, and which ones have you picked up? Yeah, so. Um... I really, it started with the whole, again, it, for me, it started with the whole, like, my brother is gay, and uh, the way people talk about this doesn't seem quite right. There's so much hatred, so much division. So I guess it started with, uh, like, the doctrine of Scripture. Like, I started questioning, okay, what the heck is the Bible? Uh, what is this thing? Uh, and, like, how should I read it? Does it? Is it relevant? Is it not? And I started getting into people like Peter Enns. Uh, so... I just started, um, you know, Heath Dills. I'm not sure. I don't think I, so. Well, he just bought me the sin of certainty, and I just started. Oh, perfect. Reading it. Dude, okay. Yeah. So I mean, really, we can we talk a little bit. Yeah, it's been blowing my mind. Yeah, um, that's a that's a brilliant book. I have it right here on my shelf. It is. There it is. It's, it's <laughs> like, um, it's all. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I. I guess, and you can speak on it too. I don't know. Okay, I really was one of those who was afraid to look at the Bible as any sort of metaphor because in in my mind if where where do you stop, right? Mm-hmm. How do I know? You know, if if it loses any sort of credibility, then it loses all credibility. This this was like previous lines of thinking. And I think what okay. a lot of people are still stuck on, right? Yeah. Um and I I think my my least favorite thing about certain um certain ways of thinking on deconstruction is completely it seems like discounting any sort of um supernatural spiritual things in it and just explaining that away as like oh satan's just a metaphor for the ego and stuff right I'm like, no <laughs> right. i don't think that's what that's saying at all and like i so it's trying to find the uh, path down the middle um but yeah so far that that book's been a big help so what did it kind of where did you land with the bible and how to read it and what it is yeah so i i i very much uh would can like err on the sides of of pete ends like i i like a lot of what he has to say but then where i ended up now and i think this uh perhaps partially has to do with my um some of my theology professors in college but I have like a very uh, like Anabaptist e reading of scripture. So what that means is I read everything in the Bible through the lens of Christ. Okay. So uh, that means I would hold things that like Jesus says higher or with more power, more authority than say Moses. Okay. And so if you're like a biblical inerrantist, then you're not going to do that. You're going to have what I would call like a flat reading of scripture. I would say I'm going to read everything through the lens of Jesus because, you know, in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Jesus is a a perfect imprint of God. If we, you know, I always tell my my students, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus, always. God, right? So, um, 
And then I, I talk about how Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He doesn't say it to the Bible. And so I look at scripture as like an on-ramp that points us to Jesus. So the Bible is authoritative in my life insofar as it points me to Jesus. And so anytime I read something in scripture that does not align with the character of Jesus, uh, frankly, I would say that the Bible gets God wrong. Mm. Um, like I would say Canaanite genocide, for example, which is something that ends talks a lot about, uh, you know, the innocent slaughter of men, women, and children does not line up with the character of Jesus. So I would say, mm, perhaps they're wrong. The Israelite people seem to be speaking very much like, uh, other people at their time when they would go to war, they would attribute their victories, their violence to their God. They're doing the same thing. Uh, God likes to tell his story through his children and so he's allowing himself to be spoken about in a way that's not fully true, but that resonated with the people at the time. But now we have the ultimate revelation in the person of Jesus. And uh, so, what, so that's how I read scripture. What do you think? So on that specifically, so what do you think like would be the purpose of including that to kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like why? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's because God's telling his story. And so we're, we're God like that that bit is important because it, it leads us to, it points us to Jesus. Like Jesus for me is, is the, the ultimate fulfillment of Israel, um, of their story. And without understanding the story, we're not going to get to Jesus. And so I think, um, again, it's, it's God through his nature showing that, uh, he's willing to relate with his creation and kind of meet them where they're at until they can get to a point where they're like, okay, so this is actually what God is like. This is who God has always been like, which again, for me is, is Jesus. Okay. That does make sense. So I think this was, um, kind of what we were having to talk on, um, on a message board where what I've, been coming up against really, I guess all my life and recently. So I, I definitely grew up where if you don't believe in Jesus, right, then you're going to hell. And even though you're lovely, uh, agnostic or spiritual or Muslim or Hindu friends, uh, are these good people? Unfortunately, they're still going to hell. Yeah. Okay. I was taught that too. <laughs> yeah. And so that, especially as, you know, I'm a very empathetic person and I'm a very social person. So something like that is devastating. And like, you know, praying desperately for your friends and just having that idea of like, Oh, you poor thing. Like you think you're doing good, but you're not. So mm -hmm. that is something I've definitely, definitely, um, reevaluated, but even still now where I find is, so is there even any reason to try to tell someone that they need Jesus in their life? to if that is explaining it correctly like especially with so i'm in um alcoholics anonymous and their big mm -hmm. thing is the concept of a higher power and stuff and sure. so you have myriad versions of a higher power going on you have all these people with drastically different ideas of god um so what then if any legs to stand on would i have to say like oh, well, maybe you should try this way. It's like, especially if the ideas of universalism or, um, you know, ultimate reconciliation of, of everyone are true, then it's like, okay, so do we just kind of leave everyone to do what they do? Or, what, you, know what, you know what I'm saying? It seems like a... Sure. I, it's sure. been tough for me to get a clear answer with that. Yeah, can I? Uh, I'm gonna have to take a, a few steps back yeah, to answer the it. question. So, <clears throat> bear with me. But so first, I would I would talk about how uh, what my understanding of sin is. Okay. And so to get to my understanding of sin, I go back to Genesis and see where, uh, which I don't read literally, by the way. I don't believe in a historic Adam and Eve. Uh, but I don't think you know that's besides the point. Anyway, um, we are created as image bearers, right? To uh, bear the divine image to reflect the characteristics of God into creation and then also reflect the praises of creation back to God, kind of like a mirror. So that's what it means to be truly human. You know, God created people in the beginning and they were they were very good. And um, sin is a vocational failure because it distorts our ability to live out the vocation that God created us for, 
which is to be an image bearer. And so sin actually dehumanizes us. It makes us less human because to be human, fully human, means to be a perfect image bearer of God. Sin like takes our mirror and it puts cracks in it. It, it takes shards out. It distorts it. it. It fogs it up. It turns it into like one of those mirrors that when you go to like a hardcore show, you look in the bathroom and it you can't even see through it. That You know what I'm talking right. about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it turns it into that. And that's what sin does to us. And so when when Jesus came, he came to show us what it means to be truly human. I don't view God as this evil, not evil, sorry, this wrathful deity. I don't want to paint a false picture for other perspectives. This this wrathful deity who has set the moral bar, we failed, and so someone needs to be punished. But instead, God came to restore and redeem us back to what he created us to be. It's kind of like, uh, if I can reference a Disney movie, in Moana, at the very end, where that like big fire monster is is uh, Moana realizes, I know who you truly are. This isn't who you are. That's kind of like what God says to us. This isn't who you are. They have taken your heart, and I want to restore and redeem you. So God like takes our mirror and He fixes it. He polishes it up and He He finishes it off with a bit of Windex and restores us to what it means to be truly human. And so why follow Jesus is because. Jesus is offering that salvation here and now. We can begin living into our salvation currently and being restored, I would say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, back to what God intended us to be originally, what it means to be truly human. So Jesus is the best way to live because Jesus is what it means to be truly human. So that's that's why I would I would still point people to, to him. Do you think that... Okay, so what are your takes on other religions then? Do you think that, and, and then the, the classic case of, and I don't know if those these like anecdotal stories are true, but like like sure. mission, missionaries that have gone to um, un, uncontacted tribes and they've told them about Jesus and then they've been like, oh, we already know about that dude, but we just don't call him Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you think it's possible that... Or not that it's possible. Do you think it's like true that other religion that that God and Jesus are just speaking to other people in different ways, or is it some sort of formula where you do have to call it by its proper name? Or do you kind of get what I'm? Yeah. So, man, I guess the way I would Easy answer questions, it... right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love I love it though, man. I I think. For me, I would say that uh, heaven, whatever you ascribe that to be, is going to look very different than than most people think. That's how I would say it. I think that uh, when we say that like God is omnipresent, I take that very seriously. Like God is literally everywhere. I guess I would even maybe fall into kind of like a if you're familiar with Richard Rohr, he has like this Christian form of panentheism. Not pantheism where everything is God, but panentheism where everything is within yeah. God. Yeah. And he still maintains a, a distinction be, between creator and created. Um, but with God like being everything and in everything, people I think are interacting with God often whether they realize it or not. Um, for example, okay. C.S. C. Lewis talks about this in his Chronicles of Narnia right at the – the in the final battle, yeah. uh, you have a character who's fighting in Tash, which is like the devil character. He was fighting Tash's army his whole life, and then he's killed in battle. Uh, but when he, uh, you know, is resurrected or whatever, he's with Aslan, which is like the god character. And he's like, "Dude, I don't get it. I fought for Tash my whole life." And Aslan was like, "Yeah. So anytime you did things that were evil, you were doing it for Tash. But anytime you did good, you were doing it for me." So if we truly believe that God is the source of everything that is good and true, that God is the source of light, anytime we're interacting with that light, we're interacting with God, whether we huh. realize it or not. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So it's that's called inclusivism, which isn't quite to the point of universalism. Um, I would say I'm a hopeful universalist. Uh, uh, yeah, I, but, I think I think that's where I'm at. Because this is and this is my problem. I went on a, <laughs> I've gone on quite a few rants about my my issues with roar and stuff in and um i guess bell is like yes all that sounds fantastic i think my sure. my one hang up is that how does it 
it seems like there's just no this is so tricky because it, it seems like there's no justice or okay but but if i say that then i have to realize that i myself am at risk of being judged i've, I've sure. done some horrifically evil things in my life and i guess it would be okay where do i draw the line and what do i think justice is and I get it seems like it would just it seems too good to be true one two yeah. it seems um it takes a lot of maybe I'm still stuck on heaven and hell motivation maybe that's yeah. part of it and like if there was no heaven and hell what would I do what would I then do what would yeah. I you know so I don't know if you can no speak that's on some of that. Yeah, that's good. I'll say two things if I can remember the second thing when I get there. But so the heaven and hell thing when you said it is very interesting to me because um, that was actually one of the first things that kind of uh, – I'm going to say this, but then I'll have to retract it to some extent. That's one of the first things that kind of fell away from me in my quote-unquote deconstruction because I grew up believing that the point of being a Christian was to go to heaven when you die, which was some place off in the sky – and yeah. that if you weren't a Christian, then you were, like, tortured by the devil in hell forever. Like, I was shown a video, dude, <laughs> when I was in confirmation class and I was, like, 10 years old, where it was, like, these miners, and they dug a hole in the earth, like, we're drilling down into the core of the earth, and they put a microphone down, and you heard people screaming, like, ah! <laughs> and, like, e- evil voices, like, ha, 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 like, laughing. And I was so scared, dude. They actually showed us that, like, legit. That's- so awful did you ever go to hell house those haunted houses oh dude i have not but like i know what they are and uh i'm on like some facebook pages for youth pastors and anytime people are like i'm taking my students here i'm like dude that is emotionally and spiritually and psychologically abusive do not do that to your students and i catch some heat for it but also like some people are like yay man what up yeah so like (laughs) but yeah don't don't do that but anyway uh when i realized that the New Testament is not so concerned about going to heaven when you die. And Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, isn't talking about something in the sky, but something that's breaking into reality here and now. So for listeners who are into theology, this is a very like N.T. Wright way of speaking, who's my favorite theologian. But the kingdom of God is already not yet. Um, it is here, but is not fully realized like Jesus is king. That's the gospel. The, go- the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the king. And that means something. Um, and so heaven is going to be restored here on earth. Like that's my understanding. Uh, a, a perfect um, heaven and earth used to be picture them like overlapping spaces. They're now separate spaces. And God is working to overlap them once again. And that's what Jesus has inaugurated, okay. and that as Christians, we're able to then carry out, right? Um, so I can. there's way more details I can go into that, but for brevity's sake, we'll move on. So that's my understanding, right? That heaven is going to be something that is here on earth. It's going to be physical. Um, we're going to have restored bodies. Creation is going to be restored. It's going to be redeemed, not destroyed. I don't believe in the rapture. I don't think the earth is like going to get burned up. That's not in the Bible. Um, anyway, so I have that understanding of heaven and hell. And so when it comes to like my understanding of hell then, or like God's justice, if God is restoring and redeeming us and putting the world back to right, then obviously sin or evil has to be punished, right? Somehow. Right. Um, or taken care of. So I uh, mm, basically I like that phrasing better. Yeah. Yeah, taken care of because I so I have what's called like a crisis victor view of atonement that God overcame sin that, and death and evil, and you know Scripture tells us that sin was punished in the flesh of Jesus, not that God was punishing Jesus on the cross. That was going to be my next question: was atonement theories? Yeah, yeah and so uh, the thing is, then the one thing that all humans have in common, the one thing that we all face is death. Jesus came to defeat death, and so. If death is if if death is the punishment, so to speak, or I would say the 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 natural um, the consequence, consequence. Yes, because I I wouldn't say that God necessarily imposes that. If that's the consequence, then perhaps 
hell is annihilation. You cease to exist because death. But uh, some people would push back in like in the Eastern Orthodox Church, for example, who their eschatology tends to be more universal. They would use a metaphor of like, uh, so Gregory of Nicaea, uh, is somebody who was the final editor of the Nicene Creed, Gregory of Nyssa, rather. And he was a full-blown universalist. A lot of people don't know that. And also, interesting fact, his sister taught him everything he knows. So there's a case for women in ministry. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, But Gregory of Nicaea, uh, Nyssa, his sister told him, like, imagine your life is a rope, and it spent its whole time in the muck, in the mud. All that crap would get caked on, right? And the narrow way of Jesus is like a small hole that only the rope can fit through. Uh, Jesus picks up your rope and pulls it through that hole. Now, of course, that's going to be painful because all that evil, that, that damn, crap. that is a good. Yeah, that crap that, that <laughs> has distorted you, has ruined your capability of being an image bearer, is going to fall off and you're going to be restored and redeemed back to what God created you to be. So that's how perhaps you could handle the justice question. That was a long answer. Sorry. No, that was a good, that's a great, that's a great analogy. Well, and man, um, so I do want to spend some time on uh, atonement theory too. So, um, what I was always taught was, I guess it would be the, um, propitiation. Did I say that right? For, um, for my sins. So that, um, that basically the idea was that, um, the original sacrificial system of blood sacrifice was required and ordained by God. So the only way for us to be saved was God had to send himself to be killed on a cross. Um, which, yeah, I guess that's what I, that's what I believe is that it had to happen. But my, sure. always, always my questions was it, it, that, that never fit with me because why, how could God make, some sort of system it, why could he not just just make it so number one right like, be like okay y'all are good snap my f-. you know what i'm saying like what sure sure that never jived with me so what kind of if you even want to like gl- glaze over the, sure. the different uh atonement views and then what you landed on yeah so there's a whole bunch of atonement theories and i'm not uh wise enough to speak on all of them but i can speak to penal substitutionary atonement which is the the yeah Nerd word for what you're saying, <laughs> the the dork way of talking about it. So I have a few problems with penal substitutionary atonement. Um, first off, in my mind, it pits God against Himself, because if if Jesus is is God, which is what we confess, uh, or else we're not, you know, you fall into heresy, then God is pitting Himself against Himself, uh, which is very strange to me. And also, it seems to be this idea of justice is somehow outside of God. And is infringing like there's a system outside of God saying if you are just you must do this, and I don't that would mean that there's right. something bigger and greater than God, which also eh, it's kind of sketchy, right? Um, but also to say that Jesus had to die on the cross to forgive our sins, um, I think flies in the face of Scripture. And here's here's why I say that: go back and read the Gospels. Jesus was going around forgiving people's sins prior to ever dying on the cross. It's right there uh, on the face of the text. Yeah. It's right there. Always. Oh, willy-nilly like. Just like <laughs> yeah. you, you get forgiveness. You get forgiveness. Straight up. Yeah. So And Jesus didn't <laughs> die. That's a great yeah. point. So it's interesting to me. But also with the uh, with the blood sacrifice thing, like we look at the, you know, we look in the Old Testament, see people sacrificing animals. But here's the curious thing. Um, animals were never sacrificed in the temple, which is where they believe God would meet. The thing that they were sacrificed and then the blood was taken and then like thrown into random places in the temple, which is seems kind of odd, but that kind of um, worked like metaphorically for them symbolically. But what's what really if we interesting... still did church that way, it'd be pretty, pretty oh, rad, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> just... Yeah, go to church, like sacrifice a goat. You're just getting blood, just throw blood on everywhere. You. Yeah. yeah, tons of fun. It'd be pretty hardcore. Yeah. But, uh, What's interesting though is the the animal that had sins confessed over it, right? When they would when priests would confess the sins of their people over an animal, that animal was never killed because you couldn't sacrifice to God an unclean animal. It had to be pure. Oh, that and was now a scapegoat. Exactly. It okay. was a scapegoat. They would cast that 
that animal out into the wild. They would cast it away because it was filled with, with the sins. And if Jesus took on the sins of the world and then we what try to pair it with that metaphor, it doesn't line up. It doesn't work. And so I think I definitely believe in some kind of substitution because Barabbas, for example, the like Barabbas was set free. Jesus was crucified. That's pretty substitutionary. Uh, or like the criminals on the cross or whatever. Mm. Jesus was some sort of substitute, but penal, I don't think so, because it seems to be that, like, that means, like, we were all bad, God had to do something, so he punched Jesus on the nose, and now we're good. Like, it doesn't work. And yeah, so, right. I, it it really does, like, it, it, uh, it's it's funny how it does not stand up to to even kind of simple scrutiny. Right, right, exactly. It and just I doesn't think, make sense. We just, in the West, we're so fixated on, on that because our systems of justice within our Western culture has always been punitive. It's always been retributive. Always. But perhaps God's justice is more restorative, which in my understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower, God is very much in the business of restoration and redemption, uh, not punitive, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of... Okay, so... So from your view, why did Jesus die? Man, Jesus died because he allowed he took All right, so Jesus died because he took on the worst evil imaginable. He took on the the greatest thing that you could ever conceive. Literally, he allowed creation, his creation to kill the creator. That's the worst thing evil could do, and then 3 days later Jesus rose from the dead. And spat in the face of evil. So Jesus defeated evil. The worst thing that evil could possibly do. Jesus defeated those powers. Broke its strongholds. There's literally nothing that evil or Satan or demons, however you want to personify it, has on us. Because Jesus defeated, overcame the worst possible thing that it could do, which is destroy our creator. So it's a crisis victor model. Jesus is victorious over the powers of sin and death. He has broke their bondage, and he has prepared a way that we can be restored back to who God created us to be in the first place. And that's that's why Jesus died. Okay. So is it too much to say that it was largely symbolic? Um, or do you think—see, I see, this is why I, this is yeah. why I do love C.S. Lewis and the, the simple— the deep magic is just like the, the simple. It really, it's simple, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I think there, I think there is some serious things here that we're just not going to get and it. Yeah. I think there's something going on there. Cause I guess then more questions are like, what, what is evil? And yeah, like what do you personify it? And yeah, I, I flip flop back and forth on that. And I, I do believe in, um, a literal Satan and a literal, uh, mm-hmm demons forces of darkness or whatever yeah i don't think so. that i don't think that they're i think what a lot of people get wrong is um yin and yanging them in the sense mm-hmm. that they are equal parties mm-hmm. i do think they're like not at all there um, you go but uh yeah that's why people that yeah the fear mongering of demons that like you really there's something to be like terrified of it's like no really they're just like ticks or gnats or something that are, yeah you know gonna really lied to you but there's nothing like it's not like they have a chance of winning or anything right yeah it's so crazy man i think that's a great point like oftentimes people and i like tell my students this because i get frustrated like people attribute too many things to uh satan or whatever you want to call it because so just a, a fun fact like satan isn't a name similar to how like christ isn't jesus's last name it's a title christ yep. is like you know messiah anointed king whatever satan anytime you see it in scripture it's asatan the satan the accuser so it's yep. a title so anytime we we speak of satan people always talk about like satan is tempting me satan is doing this we're like wait a minute like, satan's no, not. not god he's not omnipresent don't believe don't buy into that lie Satan is not omnipresent. He's not all knowing. He is not everywhere. He's not God. Satan is a is a finite being. Um, I guess you'd have to say he's a created being, and then it gets into the problem of evil, which is a whole other question. Yeah. Um, but we'll go with that for now. He's a created being. He is not God. So making him 
in equal and and opposite to God is just ridiculous in my mind. Like evil is very real. Obviously, turn on the TV, watch it for five minutes, and you will see evil is real. Um, but it, we give it. I think we give too much credit uh, because. Like Satan knows his days are numbered, so to speak, and demons get that. They know who Jesus is. I mean, look at the again, go back to the Bible. Anytime Jesus came around, they knew who he was. You know, even the demons tremble at the name of Christ. That's what it says uh, in scripture. And like, uh, like when they were cast out of uh, that dude and into the pigs, they knew who Jesus was and were like, spare us. So they get it. Like, yeah, we're no better than them just by acknowledging. Jesus, but like Jesus has truly overcome and defeated them. So I don't think it's necessarily symbolic. I think there actually something happened in which the kingdom of God is now breaking into, to use my metaphor from earlier, um, our, our world here and now. So like maybe if I unpack that a little bit more, uh, in the old Testament, we had like temples and stuff. That's where God's present was. Right. And then Jesus came and the said, you know, he dwelt among us or whatever. The word that is used in that scripture is actually, it says he tabernacled amongst us, which is weird, right? To say Jesus was a tabernacle. But you're saying that's where, where heaven and earth met, was where Jesus was. And he would go around. So now the presence of God, like, which is weird because God is everywhere. But like now right, God right, is right. Bringing, Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God everywhere. And as as Christ followers, as Jesus followers, when we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're bringing the kingdom of God with us where we go. We are capable through the power of God to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Like we create pockets of heaven when we do things that are good and beautiful and true. So something actually happened in which the world is now a different place because Mm -hmm. of the death of Jesus. Um, I just don't necessarily think that it's some kind of punitive transactional thing where we say a prayer shake his hand okay we're good thanks man you know totally totally well in kind of in kind of wrapping it up um this is also a question i always shop around to get the different answers but so how do you experience god on like Mm -hmm. a day-to-day any practices do you um and and part of this is because it seems like this last Ah man, six or eight months has kind of been a, a dark night of the soul for me, where God oh, seems seems <laughs> seems very distant. But it's also I feel like I'm being taught to just trust and have faith and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious with with you, you know, speaking from a youth pastor, you know, the student of theology and all that. How do you have those times where you don't quite? feel God or how do you, you know, how do you experience God? Yeah, man. So I wish I could give you some like really good, like pastor answer, like, oh, I experience God when I read the Bible or when I pray or whatever. But for me, actually reading the Bible and prayer are two of the the harder things for me. Um, I read the Bible every day, um, uh, almost as like a discipline, but I... Like that can be difficult for me sometimes uh, to find God there. Obviously, God speaks that way. Um, and then in prayer, I'm just really bad at praying. <laughs> so like it's not always there either. I tend to find God in like the mundane things of life, like in other people. I, yeah. you know, God speaks to me in my friends. God speaks to me through my family, through, uh, shoot, sometimes through my dog, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I have like uh, anxiety and depression, so I have you know some Me kind too. of mental illness, and like my dog knows when I'm depressed and like comforts me. Like she, I, I have three of them, but one of them, my pit bull, is very good at picking up on that, and she just gets it. And so like I think God speaks there too. Um, I yeah. think God speaks through the the circumstances in my life, through the different situations. Um, I would call this next thing an experience of God, although I can't explain it. Uh, my students make fun of me a lot because I'll be preaching and I'll just start crying for yeah. no reason. Like yes. hardcore, man. It like, and I feel overcome in that yes. moment. Like something is else is going on. Like something bigger than myself is a part of whatever's happening That's... in that space. 
are you um are you medicated for your depression anxiety i am not uh so, although perhaps i should be <laughs> well yeah so I'm i recently asked when it comes to that so no yeah and, and this i'm so i'm always so 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 careful for this because everyone like i was medicated for years and i fully credit it with saving my life for that period of time but i've been off um for this is month number four now nice, and man. that that was part of the reason was that i was unable to have those moments and it bothered me so mm. much that i couldn't i couldn't cry or whatever it, it seemed to cut off that valve yeah um and yeah i've i've, I've um like i i got to tell my story at a um a meeting uh saturday night and i had one of those moments and it was it was completely it's like where did that come like what is that what what <laughs> yeah. is that where did it come from there's not really you know whatever and i'm like a student of psychology so i could take that route too but it's like no nah, it's not really good enough it, the, the sure. explanation of it is not good enough it is it's there's something there there's something happening 100 percent. do you absolutely i mean i so much so and like I don't know what it is like. So I, I've worked in two pretty shit churches, to be blunt, mm-hmm. like awful. Like the first church I ever worked in, my the head pastor, the founding pastor, they were abusive. They were CEO type people. I mean, emotionally abusive, uh, spiritually abusive, uh, psycholo- like psychologically abusive. One of them, even though it never happened to me, was physically abusive, like oh, crazy, crazy shit, dude. Yeah. And then like the next church I worked in was the same like – but where I'm at now is so different to me. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like the pastor gets up and like he was preaching about like, hey, maybe we should love immigrants. And here's why, because nice. Jesus seems to talk about that. It was on Sunday. And uh, my church is extremely multi-ethnic. We have like 60 some different countries represented in the church or ethnicities rather. And um, then he did this thing where it was like, if you're if you're an immigrant, if you came to this country as an adult or as a child or whatever, if you would stand up. The lady sitting next to me stood up, dude, and I lost my shit. Like, yeah. there's something about that. There's something when when truth and and love is being presented that I become like overcome with yes. something else. Yes, something it's... overtakes me, and I can't control it because I'm like. I don't know. I don't like I don't I didn't cry at my wedding and my wife hates me for that. <laughs> but like things wreck me, man. And it's I think it's God like a, is there. It's a spiritual it's like a spiritual truth being yeah. represented. It's something that's like as old. It's it's like connects you to it's yes, it's 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 transcendent, I guess is the best yeah, word. Exactly. It's just like a, a, a switch gets hit, you're plugged in and you're like, Oh, this this right here, that's it. This is like what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And I don't it's I don't like, know how yeah, it's just an experience that I can't explain. But yeah. often I find if I seek it out, I'm often not able to replicate <laughs> yeah. it. But God yeah. seems to speak to me and meet me in places where I least expect it. Yes. And so one thing that somebody once said that uh, stuck with me is if if you're not experiencing God, maybe it's because you're not looking low enough. <laughs> oh, I love that, dude. Yeah, and I was I like, love that. man, you know, it kicked my butt. So like, where can we find Jesus in in other people? Like Jesus says the way you treat the least of these uh, you you know if you whatever you do to the least of these you have you have done unto me and so who are the least of these in our society because I think that's where Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you or how can you sit across the the table from somebody or run into somebody you know at the store or your your waiter or waitress or the bartender or whoever? How can you look at that person and see the image of God in them and encounter God through them? Um, that's where I see. God is through other people because I take seriously the fact that all of us are image bearers and I look for the face of Jesus on the face of everybody I encounter um, and take seriously the notion that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere always um, and is constantly working and constantly loving. And then if you can get your head around that and start truly believing it, um, I think the world changes for you and you start to see things a little bit differently and you can find God in the most mundane things, uh, or just even in the person sitting across from you. Yeah. I love it, dude. Well, tell everyone, uh, about your show and where they can find it and all that good stuff. 
All right, so our show is called uh, Theology Doesn't Suck. Basically, we are seeking conversations with anybody who will talk with us, uh, whether they're super conservative, super liberal, on a wide variety of topics. Basically, we want to point people to Jesus. And we acknowledge that there is that Christian orthodoxy is, is very wide, um, even though we've been told it's pretty narrow. And we just want to point people to Jesus and say, hey, man, cling to Jesus, even in your doubt, even in your struggle, even your pain, cling to Jesus. Um, and that's that's our thing. So uh, my, my co-host, Marty, is an awesome dude. Uh, he's also in full-time vocational ministry. I met him working at that shit church uh, in South Florida that I told you about. Uh, he also would say that it's a shit church. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and so uh, we had that in common. But yeah, so you can find us pretty much anywhere you know, podcasts are Spotify, uh, Apple podcast, uh, Podbean, you know, Google play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we're on Instagram at theology doesn't suck. Uh, also we have a Twitter, although I'm so terrible about tweeting cause I hate I Twitter. I do um, and we have like a Facebook page that we never post stuff on, but like you can go there and like it. And then we have a, a discussion group, a theology doesn't suck discussion group, which if you would like to join it, uh, go for it we'll let you in we're not we're not mean about it and uh yeah cool man well thanks so much josh yeah thank you my chill shoes are the well-kept cemetery long both of them weeping there one good song